0: We're going to continue in Philippians this morning uh, for Eastern Sunday. Uh, We have been in here for a few weeks and we get to that wonderful and familiar praise, phrase that Paul says, to live as Christ and to die as gain. So it's a fitting subject for Easter Sunday, and in many ways it's going to bring us back to the basics of our faith as we talk about a life and death this morning. This is kind of the pinnacle in some ways of what Paul has been building to. He is writing to reassure uh, this church in Philippi while he's in prison um, of the success of the gospel and of his own well-being, uh, and, that is, and because he has faced imprisonment. Uh, He has also faced opposition from his own church. And now we are reaching the ultimate crisis that he is facing is that while he is sitting in prison, he doesn't know what his end will be. And there is this distinct possibility uh, that he will die. And so he is writing to this people um, in Philippi, people that he loves to give them a word of hope and reassurance, assurance in the gospel while staring in the face of death. Uh, So let's go to our passage this morning. I'm going to read, reread a couple verses from last week for context. I'm going to read chapter one, verses 18b through 26. This is God's word. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, this means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that while that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Jesus Christ because of my coming to you again. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. To live as Christ and to die as gain is this is a wonderful and a powerful and dangerous phrase that we have to unpack and i 'm mostly going to focus on this phrase this morning, really, the rest of this section, Paul is riffing off of that idea um, and giving us the impact that it 's having on his own life on his own life and he is talking about two things here: life and death, and that 's what I want to focus on and if I want us to think for a second. Our lives, whether we think about it or not, are radically shaped by death. And this is whether we are young, whether we are old, or somewhere in between healthy or strong. If you think about all the things that we do, um, the amount of time we spend exercising, the amount of money that we spend on our own bodies, on good food, uh, the race to provide for uh, the basic provisions of us— or the care for looking out for our kids, uh, the amount of anxious worry and care we give to them to keep them safe, even our just yearning to get as much experience as possible knowing um, that we only have a short amount of time here on the planet that we have to fill in, Uh, we have to make our lives worthwhile in the end. I mean, maybe you might've had a near death experience or someone near you, but right now we're in this very funny position with death and that we are all in quarantine and we get these statistics that are coming at us every day, that if we quarantine in this way, if we put these restrictions, then we're going to flatten the curve. And it's, it's a large number of deaths. So whether we're afraid about it for ourselves or for other people or those we love, our lives right now are very radically shaped uh, by uh, the possibility Of death. And this is a very anxious thing for us. Um, Whether we think about it consciously or not, um, it is always there and it's always a source of anxiety. And so we can see why Paul would want to write to this church in Philippi who are facing their own hardships, but also uh, his own death. He knows that this is a distressing subject, he knows that they're going to worry about it, um, and he is writing to them to give them a word of comfort. And so this is what I want us to look at today. I want us to look in um, on this letter that Paul is writing so that as we are facing how death shapes our own lives, uh, that we are able to take the same comfort away from that. And I want to look at this in two ways. I want to look at what Paul says, but as Paul is bringing up here life and death, I first want to reflect a little bit on what life and death are like in the world before uh, we talk about what life and death are like in Christ, uh, which is the hope that we have. And in order to uh, illustrate, uh, in order to explain the effect it has on our lives, I want to give two illustrations and uh, two stories. One being several years ago, while during the time I was in seminary, then Lauren and I, we were on a break in Atlanta uh, where my parents were living at the time and we left our kids with the parents and went to a traveling Titanic museum. Uh, Lauren was really excited about this. She tends to get excited by things slightly macabre. Uh, So we went and we marched. We went through this big, impressive um, display of things from the Titanic and um, explanations of what it was like. And there was one thing that stuck with me. And you might have heard the story that as the ship was going down, that they were prioritizing uh, women and children to get on the lifeboats uh, to get to safety because there weren't enough lifeboats. And there were certain men who, out of fear of death, were actually dressing up in women's clothing and sneaking onto these lifeboats so that they could save their own lives. And later on we got to the end of the tour and there's a, they have a whole list of everybody that was on the Titanic and the thought hit me, I googled when the last person that died from the Titanic was and it was on May 31st of 2009 and there was something about knowing these stories and sitting there and staring at this list and knowing that every single one of them was now dead that the thought hit me very powerfully that no matter what it is no matter what, you know, energy or craftiness we might, you know, put into keeping, to staving off death, holding at a distance, it always comes for us in the end, no matter what. The righteous, the wicked, whatever, death doesn't discriminate. Uh, and in one way to think about it, uh, our lives, we actually live in front of a clock and we're trying to slow the clock down that we know that death is coming. It comes for us eventually. And so our lives are characterized by this trying to slow down the passage of time to keep it as far away in the future as possible. But that's only one side of it. Now, I want to give another illustration that not only death is something that impacts our life by slowing the clock down in a ways, um, that we try to slow our clock down, is that the life before death also is a little bit complicated. And to illustrate that, one of my favorite photos I have is of my mother and my grandmother on the street out in front of her house. My grandmother was very elderly. This is in the last year of her life. And she is riding in a wheelchair uh, with a scarf around her neck and these big obnoxious sunglasses on and she's smiling and my mom is pushing her in the wheelchair running down the road. And it's this wonderful, goofy picture. And the reason why it's wonderful is because my grandmother had Alzheimer's and was in a very late stage. And this was an example of somebody where death should have come, but it wouldn't. And the fact that it wouldn't, it actually created a lot of complications for life. Um, In a physical sense, where her mind was gone and her body was, but her body was healthy, Uh, She was living, my grandmother, in a real situation of suffering. And my mom was also in a situation of suffering, suffering, but a very different kind. Hers was not that a physical death would not come, but that there was a season of hardship, of selflessness and care, a trial that just seemingly would not end. And it would go on and on and on and on and on. And both of these things we see here in this text, that Paul is faced with the prospect of death. He's faced with um, even knowing what that's like to stare into his death and maybe having these feelings of wanting to slow it down and having it delayed. Uh, But at the same time, he also knows something. He doesn't just say to die is game, but to live is Christ. He talks about life. And he is in a situation where he has been laboring for the gospel and he has gone through trial after trial after trial uh, that he doesn't know when it's going to end. He doesn't know when Jesus is going to say enough, uh, that you have done enough. So we can relate to that. And we all know what that feeling is like of to go through certain seasons that we wish we just had a fast forward button. If we could just fast forward out of this season, things would get better. It might be out of quarantine right now. It could be a season of hardship. It could be a season where we have to selflessly serve somebody else and without honor in return. It could be out of a season of boredom or insignificance of just wanting to get out of where we are and get to the next thing. And so where does that leave us? We are living our lives both trying to slow down the clock, trying to keep death away, and at the same time trying to speed it up at other times. To get out of the hardship that inevitably comes to actually fast forward, and we are caught between the two. And this is a very anxious way to live. This is the most natural yet an incredibly anxious to live way to live in the world. It's the curse of death uh, that we have upon us. And I say that because it's against that background that we have to look. And what Paul is saying here when he says these words, that to live is Christ and to die is gain. And that the thing that is different for Paul, how he can live in that reality and he can live with boldness and joy is not something that is so much to do with Paul. It is not his attitude. It's not thinking about it possibly. It's not his ability to persevere, but it is a person. It is a person that came and did something radical, and that that has radically changed how Paul can view both life and death. And what was it? What was it that Christ did? And at Christ, on the one hand, he lived a life of love and a life of humble service, of love for others, but it was also a life of labor and suffering. He was without worldly honor Uh, in his life. He embraced the form of a servant. He endured hunger and exhaustion. He experienced the pain of losing uh, those he loved to death, uh, Lazarus of note. He endured ridicule, slander, being accused of things that he did not do. He experienced physical torment in his body and the emotional torment of being separated uh, from his own father. And above all, bearing the utter shame of every shameful deed that has ever been committed. And yet, in living that life and enduring in obedience to his Father all the way to the end, he also rose again from the dead. He came out on the other side and was received into heaven to the greatest chorus of pride and joy that we could ever imagine. And so Christ's life what we see in Christ's life is that Christ going through death and coming on the other side, he's ended the finality of death. So death is not the end for us, though we all have to face it. I like to see it as like a beetle flipped on its back and that is still alive, its legs are still kicking, but yet it's been incapacitated to do the thing that for a time he was made to do. Christ has ended the finality of death in his resurrection. At the same time, Christ has also ended the shame of death. And that after bearing all of this sin, all this weight on his shoulders, and he was received up into heaven, sat down at the right hand of God the Father in joy and a chorus of glory. That the shame being left in the tomb, when God let him walk out of that tomb, It was like God saying, it is enough, past, present, and future. Not only is there forgiveness, but there is true reconciliation. There is now a relationship where there is joy at being together, where there used to be enmity because of wrongdoing. And you see, Paul came to understand this about his own life. Not so much about him, but about Jesus. And that when Jesus walked out of that tomb his own view of death was different. That he might face it, but death would not be the final end. There was another life. There was another embodied life. There was more joy to come even after it. Death was no longer the worst thing that could happen to him. But more than even physical life, like that Paul knew that in he being in Christ would be received into heaven to the same kind of chorus of glory, despite everything that he had ever done, that his own shame had been left behind. And there was a day this week where I came home later than I had promised Lauren that I would be home. And I always text, I'm on my way and almost always get the little love symbol on the side of it. Uh, This day I got the thumbs up instead of the love symbol, which was not a good sign So when you get a step down from what you usually get, then you know that the the reception I was waiting on at home was not going to be a great reception. And when there's a wrongdoing there, when there's a brokenness in relationship, being with somebody is not the greatest prospect. But as Christ has ended the shame of death for you and me, then there is a reception waiting for us, knowing exactly what we did that is of hope and that is of joy, that we will be more than just forgiven, we will be embraced and we will get to join in the chorus at the end. So Paul's view of death was radically changed, not because of him, but because of Christ. But it's not just death. He says to die is gain, but to live is Christ. So Paul is united to Christ both in his death, but also in his life. Because there's the other half of this, this unpacks where Paul recognizes that even though he is awaiting this and it will be so good, that there is a time here on earth in going through this ministry of suffering that is good for others. And this is just like the ministry of Jesus. And that as Christ lived in the world, he bore its hardships. It was not a life that was just a life of peace and prosperity. And we all live in the same world. Paul lived in the same world. And we will experience all of those things, all of those hardships. But because Christ, even the hardships that he lived through in finishing Him. That these were actually far from, even though they appeared to be uh, uh, circumstances of shame that he was wearing, they were actually the way that he was earning the righteousness and the pride of his father that we could not do. That he was actually contributing to the chorus of joy and glory that was to come. And if we are also united with Christ's life, there are many times we are asked to leave to be left and to stay in a situation we might not want to be in. Sometimes we don't know when the hardship is going to end. Sometimes we, know, we don't know when life is going to continue in a way that is abnormal or as hard. But the hope that we have here is the same hope that Paul, that as we are united with Christ, both in death and life, and united with his life, that that life and those sufferings, they are no longer working death in us, but that they are actually working life. To be united with Christ in life and in death means the whole story has been flipped upside down. And so whether we live, whether we die, that God, through Jesus, is working life in you and me. And that is something that is a great joy that we can cling to and we can hope in. All this is accessible to us as a gift that is by faith. This is not something that we can earn. This is not something that we can um, contribute to or take away from. It is fully something that God has done to us. And because of what Christ has done, we are invited to remember, to embrace this reality by faith, to remember what Christ has done, and to have joy ourselves, to enjoy it. We are invited to give up the constant attempts of justifying ourselves or punishing ourselves in some way by feeling shame over what we've done in some way to make it right. We are invited to live boldly, without eyes obsessed over the clock of, is death coming too soon, or are we stuck in here forever? And we are invited to humility and service like Jesus, knowing that our Father holds us even in that And that through those things, he is working glory and love in the way that he did his son, Jesus. This is all, but not because of us, but because what Jesus has already done. It is not something that is yet to do. But above all else, you know, we are invited to all of these things by faith, to trust in him. But above all else today, on this Easter Sunday, we are invited to celebrate. We are invited to a feast. We're invited to remember that Jesus walked out of that tomb on this day many, many, many years ago. And there is work coming tomorrow. There is work coming next week. And after that, the days and days after that. But today, our Savior is risen. And you are invited to a feast and a celebration and a party. And I want invite us all there. I want to close by reading this. This is the Easter homily from a man named John Chrysostom. He died in 407 AD. He was a great old preacher. He was nicknamed the Golden Mouth Preacher, and he wrote this Easter homily, which is actually read aloud in many Eastern Orthodox churches, uh, some Eastern Catholic churches as well. But I want to read it uh, for you uh, in order to close this sermon. He says this, If anyone is is devout and a lover of God, let them enjoy this beautiful and radiant festival. If anyone is a grateful servant, let them rejoicing enter into the joy of his Lord. If anyone has wearied themselves in fasting, let them now receive recompense. If anyone has labored from the first hour, let them today receive the just reward. If anyone has come at the third hour, with thanksgiving, let them feast. If anyone has arrived at the sixth hour, let them have no misgivings, for they shall suffer no loss. If anyone has delayed until the ninth hour, let them draw near without hesitation. If anyone has arrived even at the eleventh hour, let them not fear on account of tardiness. For the master is gracious and receives the last even as the first. He gives rest to him that comes at the eleventh hour, just as to him who labored from the first. He has mercy upon the last and cares for the first. To the one he gives and to the other he is gracious. He both honors the work and praises the intention. Enter all of you, therefore, into the joy of our Lord, and whether first or last, receive your reward. O rich and poor, one with another, dance with joy. O you ascetics, and you negligent, celebrate the day. You that have fasted, and you that have disregarded the fast, rejoice today. The table is rich laden. Feast royally, all of you. The calf is fatted. Let no one go forth hungry. Let all partake of the feast of faith. Let all receive the riches of goodness. Let no one lament their poverty, for the universal kingdom has been revealed. Let no one mourn their transgressions, for pardon has dawned from the grave. Let no one fear death, for the Savior's death has set us free. He that is taken by death has annihilated it. He descended into Hades and took Hades captive. He embittered it when it tasted his flesh." And anticipating this, Isaiah exclaimed, Hades was embittered when it encountered thee in the lower regions. It was embittered for it was abolished. It was embittered for it was mocked. It was embittered for it was purged. It was embittered for it was despoiled. It was embittered for it was bound in chains. It took a body and came upon God. It took earth and encountered heaven. It took what it saw, but crumbled before what it had not seen. O death, where is thy sting? O Hades, where is thy victory? Christ is risen, you are overthrown. Christ is risen, and the demons are fallen. Christ is risen, and the angels rejoice. Christ is risen, and life reigns. Christ is risen, and not one dead remains in a tomb. For Christ, being raised from the dead, has become the firstfruits of them that have slept. To him be glory and might unto the ages of ages. Amen.